Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Rickia, and this is episode number 249 of the podcast. It's the 28th of October, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, Anna Brown joins me for another Unschooling in Context episode. I love this ongoing series, exploring how unschooling weaves through other interesting topics, which in turn deepens our understanding of unschooling. And in this episode, we're exploring unschooling in the context of consent. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because I think consent lies at the heart of unschooling, though we don't often talk about it through that lens. Consent is also the theme in the Living Joyfully Network this month, and we've been having lots of thoughtful and rich conversations about what consent looks like in our unschooling days. If you haven't heard about the network, it's a helpful and supportive community for unschooling parents from around the world to connect and share their experiences as they explore what unschooling looks like in their family. Allie is one of our members, and she shared this about her experience. Living Joyfully is the perfect name for this network. Being a part of the Living Joyfully Network has brought so much joy into my life and the lives of my whole family. The discussions and monthly topics have expanded my understanding of unschooling and guided me to grow in new ways. The community that has been cultivated is kind, encouraging, and supportive. It feels incredible to have a place to ask questions, share thoughts, and celebrate our children together. I am very grateful to have found the Living Joyfully Network and would highly recommend it to anyone who is or is thinking about unschooling. I love that, and I truly treasure the community too. I love diving into the questions, celebrating the aha moments, and seeing all the fun things that unschooling kids are getting up to. It's so inspiring to hang out with unschooling families from around the world. That said, the network is definitely not something everyone's looking for or is ready for. Your unschooling journey is unique to you, and we can't do that work for you, but we're there to listen to and encourage you to share our experiences and to bring an open and curious lens to our unschooling days. I invite you to check it out if you think you might find it helpful on your journey. You'll find the link in the show notes where you can learn more about the details of the network or just go to explorers.livingjoyfully.ca. As a personal update, yesterday we had our first slushy snowfall. (laughs) It didn't accumulate, but it was definitely pretty. The change of seasons is often energizing to me. And we've been using the wood stove most days now for the last couple of weeks, which is also lovely. So just sinking in to the coming winter season. (laughs) And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the growing podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Anna. Welcome. I'm Pamela Rickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Anna Brown. Hi, Anna. Hello. (laughs) So this week, Anna and I are back with another Unschooling in Context episode. The idea with these episodes is to deepen our understanding of unschooling by exploring it um, in the context of other related ideas. And this week, we're diving into unschooling in the context of consent which also happens to be the theme this month in the Living Joyfully Network. So with unschooling, we prioritize giving our children choices, but 
What truly lies at the heart of that is consent. In fact, consent lives at the forefront of every interaction we have, doesn't it? So I am really excited to dive into this topic with you, Anna. First, I want to get everyone situated. So let's talk about what we mean by consent and why is it so important? So I actually went to the dictionary and I loved it. So what it said was (laughs) consent is permission for something to happen or agreement to do something. And that kind of sums it up. (laughs) Um, We, you know, we all have things that we're willing or able to do and some things that we're not. And for me, it's always been important to make sure that the people in my life are making their own choices and that I'm never moving forward without consent. I think it's important because I, I really wanted my children to grow up with a template for consent, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about too. But, you know, as adults, we talk about consent in a sexual context, but we also talk about it in other realms and we are stressing its importance. But I think it's really challenging for people to grow up in an environment where consent has no meaning and then suddenly start caring about someone else's consent when basically, you know, what they've been taught that if someone's bigger or in a position of control or power over you, that they can push through your consent and it's socially acceptable. And so as a culture, I think we make it pretty clear that children's consent is not important from things like hug your uncle or you have to go here or you have to do this. And we go so far as to punish children if they don't comply or obey and reward them if they do. That's how ingrained this idea is that we it's not necessary to get their consent. And I just find those mixed messages to be really problematic because I think it can take decades to overcome and then kind of understand this broader context of consent. And what I've seen is when you live with consent as the foundation, the muscles that you're flexing are empathy, communication, conflict resolution. And, and I just kind of want to say, imagine if everyone had those skills, <laughs> how amazing that would be. <laughs> right, right. And I think, I think it's really worth taking a moment to think about that because culturally, we truly believe that we don't need our children's consent for pretty much anything, right? The, the idea is, you know, that we know better and our children are our, there's more of that ownership power kind of thing, and that we should tell them. It's almost that kind of empty vessel idea that we should, they don't have the skills to figure out what they think. Um, and we should be telling them, what to do, or, or it's like, they're part of our family and our family needs to do this. So they have to do this. And, you know, so there is so much, when you start, that's one of those things that once you see it, you can't (laughs) unsee it, right? (laughs) Because um, you will notice it bubbling up all over the place, um, just culturally, conventionally. It is the way that, um, you know, parenting is set up with that so much of it is is control, you know, and we talked about the shift with unschooling from control-based parenting into connection-based um, parenting. So that, I think, is going to come up for us so much throughout this whole thing. And the other thing you mentioned I wanted to emphasize is that we, it, it's such a fascinating juxtaposition, right? We want to control our kids, and then when they hit adulthood, they should be living more with consent, right? You know, as teens, it comes up, you know, all of a sudden consent starts to become part of the the conversation around um, sex and sexual encounters and stuff and make sure you have the other person's consent, which totally makes sense. And then even, you know, um, with within family relationships, adult to adult relationships, there's much more expectation that there's consent, right? Once you're an adult, But absolutely, how do you get there if you don't have any experience with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the members of the network shared a story that she's kind of been mulling over because of our topic of consent. So when she was a teen, a boy took things too far and it was further than she wanted. And this person was a close friend and it was hurtful and it was confusing And she talked about how she spent, you know, well over a decade really trying to make sense of of her actions and why it happened and all of those pieces. 
But she was saying, as we talked of consent, she realized that she didn't have a template for consent. And so she just played the role that she'd been taught, which was basically when someone you care about wants you to do something, even if it doesn't feel good or right, you do it anyway, because you care about that person. And wow, I mean, let's just let that sink in a minute, (laughs) because these little micro events of pushing through consent, hug your uncle, he loves you, we have to go to the birthday party or it'll upset them. We're teaching our kids that you push through what feels right inside in order to please someone else. And that can just be so damaging. And I think when you pull it out and look at it that way, no one wants that for their children. And so it's just understanding that those micro pushing through consent is what builds this foundation and template how we move through the world. Right, right. And so, and let's just be be clear, um, when we're talking about unschooling, and you know, this is um, (laughs) unschooling in the context of consent, what we're doing um, when we move to this more connection-based parenting, and we really put a focus on giving our children the freedom to make choices and see what happens. Of course, it's in the context of life, right? I mean, we talk about that in so many episodes. That's what we're actually having these conversations about, right? But over the years, we've seen that unschooling children consistently develop a deeper level of self-awareness, right? They gain experience with expressing their needs. They have the space to express their needs and have those conversations. And they learn ways to navigate other people's needs, right? Because we're a family. We figure this out together. We find a path forward that works for everyone. So in other words, they're learning those tools, right? That help them live consensually with the people in their lives, no matter what their age. You know, that's that's the other piece of unschooling. This is about learning um, and living as a human being with the other people in your lives. So it's really awesome to see that difference, isn't it? Yeah. And being in relationship. I mean, that's what we talk about over and over and over again in the podcast. And when you're practicing being in relationship and with this give and take and listening to one another's needs and, you know, solving problems and whatever, you have built those muscles so that when you're in a situation outside your family or whatever, these are the skills that you use. And several people had that aha moment in the network too. And you and I both have seen that play out just so beautifully with how our children, like, I mean, that's what they know. So that's what we're saying. Like, that's the difference of, you know, this template of traditional parenting versus this template of connection and relationship. And and it's just one of the things that makes unschooling so beautiful. Just, just one of the things. Just one of the many, many things. <laughs> All right. So as we say, um, you know, it does come naturally to children, right? And it's something that conventionally we train out of them. No, you need to do what your, your parents tell you. Anyway, um, so looking at it from our perspective as a parent, coming to unschooling, coming to um, these new ways of looking at things, one of the valuable paradigm shifts um, as we take that step deeper into unschooling, and I love this one too. I think it's, it's, it's so valuable. Anyway, it's that shift from talking about something, right, into living it. We don't need to talk about the theory of consent or the theory of unschooling and how it works with our kids. Instead, we live it, right? That's where the skills are, right? It's not in the conversation about we're actions, not words, right? Um, so an unschooling example I thought would be interesting to share is the idea of dropping rules, right? That's one of the first things that um, a lot of parents come across when they're learning about unschooling. Um, is the idea of how rules can get in the way. Um, We know that we're working um, towards replacing rules with principles and conversations with our kids, working through that. But there is little value in actually announcing to our kids up front, okay, guys, no more rules or no more bedtime or no more, you know, whatever, whatever is the thing in your family, right? That's, That's causing the most contention. Because in fact, when you make that announcement, that can actually throw things off even more and bring up more chaos because it's it's a big leap from what we know with the rules to like no rules. And instead, what we want is that transition. We want us as parents to be able to develop the skills of what we're replacing that with, 
right? It's not about no rules, free for all, everybody for themselves forever and ever. That's not the idea, right? It is the the principles, um, the outlook of our family, and so much about the conversations and connections around it and the context of our family, our individuals, what our life looks like, and then figuring out how to navigate it. We want to be super fluent in those skills. And that's how we're going to get there is by moving to the skills rather than a, just announcing no rules, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this totally applies to consent. So much of the conversation, we don't need to have like a, an actual consent conversation, but yet we completely respect and give them the space to be able to say yes and no and to express their needs in a situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's kind of a natural process because I feel like sometimes we do need to wrap our head around an idea conceptually, you know, and that makes sense. You know, we're reading about it, we're taking it in, but the true learning and understanding really does come in doing. And I I think we can all pretty pretty quickly agree that it sounds kind of yucky to say, you know, I don't care about your assent, your consent, (laughs) we will do what I want to do. So conceptually, we can get there. We can see that there's a problem in that. But in practice, it's happening every day to children in mainstream families, but even in unschooling families as we peel back our layers. So putting that understanding into practice and developing the skills, like you're talking about, what to replace it with, learning to listen, have conversations, discuss needs, problem solve, that becomes the work and and the joy of living consensually, you know, and I found in decades of living this way that there are always solutions. And the more you work together in this way and kind of build this repertoire and this, this ability to have the conversations, the easier it becomes to find them. And so, you know, there have been some amazing posts this month in the network as people started to look through this lens of consent and kind of put that into action and and see things that were causing a disconnect and now, you know, making space for these beautiful connections and these deeper relationships. And, you know, I was brought to tears several times because it's so beautiful to see people get that, to see them, you know, because, oh my gosh, we love our kids. All of us love our kids so much and we want to connect with them, but we have all these competing messages. And so when we can really just see the person in front of us, and they can feel seen and heard. I mean, that just, it deepens and makes this amazing connection that we're all looking for. So it's just really beautiful. (laughs) No, no, absolutely. It it really, it really is. And when you're talking about relationships, because that through these, this connection, through these conversations, that's where we're developing that trust, right? And that respect for each other, like truly as adults, we can, you know, respecting our kids isn't just, a phrase, you know, I respect like you, we literally get to the place where we see what amazing, amazing human beings they are like, and truly respect and love them for who they are. And we develop that trust in the relationship that helps us have these conversations, right? Because they trust that what we say is what we're going to do. And and I mean, and and again, you can't, that's another thing. You can't just get there. You can't just say, oh, I trust you now. You can trust me. I'm not going to make you do it. You know, you have to live it. They have to see that in action to truly trust that. You have to build that trust through all these conversations and, and different engagements, right? So, I mean, that's another great example of we don't just talk about it. Yeah. We, we actually do it. And that's where the change happens. That's where that trust is built, like you said. And, and what we've seen is that, you know, sometimes it can take a while, but, but often what you see is pretty quickly, they're excited about being heard and seen pretty quickly. They move to helping us through those times because I feel like those skills are maybe closer to them in some ways. And so when we just start using that together, it just so quickly evolves and it's just very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like thinking about consent as, as like the environment that we're creating in our home or within our family, wherever that is, where everyone just knows that they can speak up, right. That they can say yes or no. And the other piece is that their personal boundaries will be respected, right? I think those are all, they're all different aspects of consent. 
And, and that so much of the communication around consent, as we were saying, doesn't even, even the communication itself doesn't need to be verbal. You know, we all know the body language of a child who really kind of doesn't want to do that thing, but you know, if we're feeling we would like to do that thing, which leads so nicely into the next uh, bit of conversation I wanted to touch on with you, which is the idea of um, pushing through another person's consent, right? So in that moment where you're starting to see a little bit of resistance, but it it's another thing that when you see it, you can't unsee it. You start to see where sometimes even without thinking, we may be pushing through their consent, right? Yeah, but I think you'll find that most humans and especially children are pretty clear about what they want to do and not do. And so for me, it's just making a commitment to hear that and to watch for those clues and to act on it. You know, if I feel or see or hear resistance to an idea, I just stop right away. Woo. Okay, what's going on? I thought we were cool to do this, but I'm sensing this and I don't want to push through that. But that's work that I've had to do to kind of cultivate that. You stop my go, 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 you know, in the, and be open to those little signs of resistance. And, and that's when we can take the time then to listen to the concerns, you know, share our own and then move to that finding solutions, you know, that work to both of us phase, you know, pushing through that would be me not caring about a no or an, I don't really want to do that, or I'd, I'd rather not go and just, and pushing my agenda. We're going anyway. It's important. We have to go blah, 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 but not ever having that conversation. That's that pushing through, you know, even if you acknowledge it, but keep going without having digging a little bit deeper when you feel that resistance. You know, what's interesting to me is if you take those statements and pretend they're coming from an adult in a situation, the advice would be to the other person to stop immediately. But when to some children, you know, it's somehow we've convinced ourselves that it's okay to push through their no. And yet we want them to understand not to do that when they become a teen or an adult. And so I just, I really just hope people can kind of just take some of that in and think, okay, wow, that is strange that we do that. And how is that supposed to work? Because, you know, I think it bleeds into any kind of manipulation of behavior as well. You know, for us, we didn't have punishments or reward in our family. We just dealt with each other as human beings with needs and all the needs and desires are valid. And we just work together to find the solutions. And for me, it was just so much more of a peaceful existence. But beyond that, we're learning these valuable skills, how to state our needs clearly, how to listen to another, do the same, then how to use critical thinking and find creative solutions. You know, these are skills that have served me over my lifetime, and I see them serving my children as they've moved out into the world. And so that's the, like, exactly like you just said, the environment that I wanted to cultivate was that of using these skills of communication and being in relationship, because that is so much more important to me than any kind of factoid you would learn at school, because how we move through the world in our relationships, it really sets the stage for our, you know, happiness and the lives that we're creating and all of those pieces. And so I just think it's so critical. And I do think consent is at that foundation. If you check back in with that it will help you. It can be that little red flag or litmus test of, are we hearing each other? Am I treating you know my children as their own human beings? And what you'll see is then they will do the same to you because that's the template that you're providing for your family. That's the environment that you're cultivating. Yeah, exactly. And something bubbled up just to go back a touch when you were talking about, um, you know, their, their nose and, and how we, um, don't how we can push through those and don't listen to them and what they're used to yet we expect them to listen to Arno immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right there, it's just so obvious the, the power imbalance, the disrespect for them as a, as a person, like what you think or feel doesn't matter because I know better. Right. So that is some really fun stuff to peel back on and see what's there. I mean, that is just culturally so much the message, right? That our kids aren't capable of understanding themselves, but in understanding context, but unschooling 
parents, especially like experienced ones will tell you very soon, once you give them the space, your kids will show you how capable they are of understanding themselves. Of, I mean, we have stories of young kids, five, six, you know, seven, deeply stating their needs and understanding us when we're feeling off, right? So it's you just it's it's that little leap of faith at the beginning, but very soon you're going to see that in action and see how capable our kids are of expressing this stuff, right? Oh, I thought you yeah, for sure. And I think here I want to dig in really quickly because because I because I think it will help us peel back our own layers. So uh-huh. I think we push through people's consent because we want to control the situation, you know, and we do that often when we feel out of control in other areas of our lives. So when I find myself pushing through consent of those around me, it's a message for me to look at my broader environment. Environment. Is there another area where I'm feeling out of control? Am I feeling time pressure? You know, some of these outside pieces can be the driver of what's pushing through consent. So I think when we can realize, okay, yeah, I am feeling time pressure and here's why. And even just expressing that, that helps you have start that conversation. I'm feeling very stressed. We said we were going to be over there at four o'clock. We haven't got our, you know, out of our PJs. What are we going to do is, is so different than we have to go get in the car right now, you know, because I can talk through my process and what I'm feeling. And so I can take ownership for those feelings. And then I think that can really help us as we're looking at why am I pushing through consent? Because again, I think we all have wonderful intentions. You know, I, I think we just, we, we say we know what's best, whatever. But I, I think there is a saying that's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> so good intentions are not enough. Like we have to peel back a little bit deeper to say what else is behind that? Because, you know, we really don't know what's best for another person. And you touched on that briefly, but we, even for our children, you know, we can know best for ourselves but we are all unique. We process information differently. We see the world differently. We move through the world differently. And it really never helps someone on their journey to coerce them to do what we think they should do. And, and just what you just said, it was so funny because it reminded me of our kids are capable month in the podcast, you know, from a couple months ago, you know, if we force our kids to do something that we think is best, we're showing them that we don't think they're capable And that there's a good chance they're internalizing that. Like, oh, I don't know what I should be doing here. This feeling I have inside, I'm being told is wrong or isn't in alignment. And instead, you know, if we can trust what they're saying and work to find ways to meet everybody's needs, we're showing them that we trust them. We hear them. We know that they're capable. And not only, you know, of knowing what's best for themselves, but also with working together with others to find solutions. And so that's the thing. We're we're building that up in them, this belief that you're capable. You can find solutions. You can, you know, you know what you need, but you can also read the room. You can also talk to everybody else in the family and figure out these pieces. And that just builds confidence that they can then move out into the world with. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And what what bubbled up for me there is, is the value in us doing a lot of our processing out loud, right? Like it's to help because it, it emphasizes for them that it is a choice and it, and it gives them so many examples each time we do it of the various things that can be in context of any situation, right? You know, this, this timeline that we've got things, um, you know, even just from how people are feeling, you know, we were going to go here and, and, I know you really want to go, but your brother is is not feeling well. And, you know, just all, all the kind of pieces that come into it. And that's how they gain experience, how, seeing it in action. Rather, like if we just walk in, it's like, okay, we got to go this, this, and this and tell them what to do. They don't get that deeper level of understanding of all the different pieces. And again, kids are capable of understanding what those pieces are and I think that was episode 240. If people want to go back and listen to our conversation about um, kids are capable, <laughs> which was super fun too. But uh, so uh, for me, p- this pushing through another person's consent is what's really helpful there is me paying attention to 
um, the resistance that they may be, our kids may be expressing, right? Or our partner, spouse, whatever. Um, because they they may be little things like like just a little pulling back or a shaking of the head or, you know, you can see a little bit of tenseness come in. Um, and it's also not about being perfect in every single moment. You know, maybe we do have a timeline, maybe we've got the doctor, it, but it's still valuable to notice it and notice when we've maybe pushed through it. Because like we're talking about this, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? You know, there's only so many times in that their resistance will build up. Actually, you were talking about this great metaphor of the uh, pebbles, boulders, and brick wall when we're looking at the different levels of resistance um, that we may encounter. And, you know, if you want to talk about that a bit more, but what I love is knowing that we can come back from any of those, right? Even the biggest blow-ups of resistance, but... Those big ones, when when we notice like the little pebble, the little pebble, and we push through and we push through because we really feel like we need to, um, but then it, it becomes the resistance becomes bigger and maybe it becomes a no, and then eventually maybe it becomes a brick wall. It becomes like a, a explosive tantrumy kind of thing there because they're not feeling heard, they're not feeling seen, right? And it takes a lot more time when you let it build up and let it build up. There's finally the one thing that maybe they've done. Lots of times before, but at this point, they have hit that wall, you know, and they are just not going to put up with it anymore, right? Well, and like and and like you said, so number one, we've all been there, you know, <laughs> we've all done it. So not, you know, we have all been there. But what it has taught me over the years is that I really do want to listen for those pebbles, and that's maybe why it's so important to me because the brick wall is so hard, and it just everybody's hurt, everybody's upset, everything stands still because we've gotten to this brick wall. And when I'm able to see the pebbles along the way, you're right. Sometimes we'll push through those. But even if you push through that and take a mental note and come back to it before it gets, you know, that that's okay too. You know, like that is a tool we can use because again, I mean, ideally I want to not push through at all, but again, we've all been there. But if I can acknowledge it and say, you know what, I was under time pressure yesterday and I saw that you weren't quite ready and I really pushed and I wish that I hadn't done that. How can we do this differently when I'm feeling this time pressure, whatever, you know, whatever the conversation looks like and and depending on age and, uh, you know, the desire of the person to want to talk. But but it's just that acknowledgement and saying it out loud, because I, I know so many times when any of us have been hurt by someone else, or there's even been some kind of larger trauma, just the acknowledgement is so important from that other person to just say, yeah, I know, I, I wish I hadn't done that, or I'm sorry that I did that or whatever can mean so much to our healing and for rebuilding that trust. Because those pebbles are indications that we're getting little micro tears in the trust, and then the boulder comes and it's bigger. And then the brick wall, we have to really start rebuilding, you know, we, and so it's just, oh, it's so much easier to look for the pebbles. <laughs> so much easier. So yeah, definitely. Well, and you know me, I love how everything connects together. Like way back when we were talking about attachment parenting and um, how the important part, the extra important part is the reconnection piece, because we're not always going to get it right. And it's why I love the dance metaphor for relationships, right? Because, you know, sometimes a little bit of encouragement is just what they, they need in the moment and sometimes not. And we make our best choice in the moment. But like you said, taking note of, of what you saw or what you felt and talking about it later to um, like even just the acknowledgement. It's like, oh, OK, they knew they were doing that to me. Oh, it wasn't me who was wrong in that moment for feeling whatever little pebble of resistance that I felt It's like, okay, so they knew they were pushing. It it wasn't like I wasn't wrong for feeling what I felt. Right. So that reconnecting piece helps with that. And you get to build, like, like you said, a path forward. Okay. So next time it's like, okay, I'll try not to get myself into that time crunch when I haven't talked to you and I just kind of expect you to go along with it. So maybe we next time we broach the conversation earlier so that we have 
the time and space to make other plans if there's if there's a problem or you know just whatever might help them go through that moment next time because and then the next time it happens like oh we're finding ourselves in this spot is is yet you know another acknowledgement that you're not wrong for feeling this. Like, I think that's such an important piece of that, that reconnection, right? Is them understanding that whatever their inner voice is telling them and they're feeling in the moment isn't wrong. Even if at, at the moment, it's not something we can um, deal with. And then we try not to put ourselves in that situation <laughs> moving forward, right? That's, that's what we learn from those moments as well. Another aspect that you brought up that I want to dive into Absolutely. is, is um, the consensual conversations, right? It's, you, you toss that in there, like, if they're ready to have a conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> is another super important piece. Like, think about that for a moment. Consent to a conversation. You need two people to be in the headspace and, and wanting to engage with each other for that conversation to have any real connection or meaning, you know, you don't want the other person like having half a mind to it. And then, you know, cause then half an hour later, they barely even remember it. They'll just say whatever they think you want them to say so that they can end it already. You know, it's consent to even having a conversation with someone is so important, isn't it? And and I think we can get in a position where we're forcing conversations on people, children, you know, our spouses, you know, all of these, but, you know, right, check in, are they willing, are they able to listen, you know, because we can push through, sometimes it's just an intensity of our emotions, be it anger, that we really want to explain what's happening, or it can be excitement that we, you know, oh my gosh, we're going to love this thing, or this thing is going to happen. But, you know, just being aware if someone's in the middle of something or if they're thinking about something else, checking in like, hey, you know, I've got something to tell you. Do you have a minute? Or, you know, let me know when you have a minute. I want to talk to you about these pieces and just recognizing these areas where we push through, you know, and instead choosing to kind of approach with respect and kindness. And I think sometimes for this one, we can help, you know, I shared the example earlier, too, on the network about you know, like if I'm typing a response or an email or something, and then my husband comes in like talking with whatever his thing is, it's really hard because, you know, I'm in like this mind focus of what I'm doing here. And I want to understand and acknowledge him and whatever. But if I could just have that minute to finish my thought, then our conversation is going to go so much more smoothly because I could stop right away, but if I'm not doing that from a great place, then that impacts our conversation. And so just being aware of that, you know, with our children too, you know, if they're in the middle of a game and they're about to be the boss and you're coming in expecting you're going to have a conversation with them, you know, if they stop, they're probably going to be upset because they've worked hard to get there. Or if they don't stop, you feel like you're being ignored and not heard. And so do you see how it just sets us up for disconnect? It sets us up for getting our feelings hurt or for not feeling connected, but just that little shift of going, yeah, I just want to make sure that other person's ready and, and able to have a con- the conversation that I want to have. Oh my gosh, it just makes all the difference in the world. And along with that, which kind of moves into our next area too, it's when we come into a conversation with an agenda. So I want to talk a little bit more about that too, because that short circuits any kind of conversation, you know, yeah. because if we come in with an agenda and the outcome, but we'll get to that a little bit later, but you know what I'm saying about that piece too, with that yeah. agenda piece. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll get there. There was just a couple of things I wanted to mention first, because it's so interesting to just visit, like, like we're talking about, just play with all this stuff in your head. Think about it because the the conventional belief really is that we can just talk at children all the time, right? Like, tell them what they should do and and this and, and just, just talk, 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 and they should be listening and they should be reacting immediately and doing what they're told and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's amazing when you think about it. And the other piece is just to ask yourself, you know, do I need to have this conversation now? At all, yeah. Because well, at all is a great uh, one for 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 next level, I think. But for at, at first, because so often we think, okay, I thought of this, I want to have this conversation, so now's the time, right? But when when you think about it, there really are like many fewer conversations that you literally need to have in this moment. 
right? Um, it, that it can, it can wait 15 minutes. You can even go to somebody and, and you say, you know, next time you're um, going to the washroom or taking a break, I'd like to chat with you, you know, and not leaving the, not, not with the kind of guilt voice that you're, you know, you need them to come quickly or it's something they should be worrying about the whole time they're finishing what they're doing. It's like, you know, I, 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 I will even do that with, with my husband too. Like I'll go up and say, you know, um, I'd like to chat with you just about a little something. It'll take about five minutes. Do you have five minutes now? Or, you know, I'm in, you know, he may say, ah, I'm in the middle of, you know, reading this thing or watching this thing. And like, I'll be done in 20 minutes and we can have it then. But yet there really is so fewer conversations that we literally need to have right in this moment when you start thinking about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that can get our excitement, you know, and, and that intensity of whatever that emotion is can be driving that. But you're right. If you can just take that quick pause to say, does this need to happen right this second? And to realize it behooves you because that conversation is going to go better, be more smooth, whatever, when both parties are ready. So it doesn't, you know, I'd rather have that more consensual conversation and that, you know, calmer conversation than to really push, push, push. And it ends up, you know, maybe not going the way that we wanted it to, or not neither one of us feeling heard or whatever that might be. You know? Yeah. That was, I was going to say, because imagine when um, you approach someone like that, like just asking them if it's a good time for a conversation because they feel seen and heard and respected right in that moment. It's like, Oh, you know, they are seeing me, they're seeing that I might be busy, they're respecting whatever I'm doing enough to say, you know, maybe I need to finish it up, like you're typing, you know, you've got that thought in your head, and you want to finish this up, just give me like three minutes to finish this up. And then then I can bring my attention to you, like, consent is just so wrapped up completely in there. (laughs) So many layers to that, though, because it is it we're showing that we've, what they're doing is valuable. And, and I, you know, it, it really, it, I feel really so much better when he just acknowledges that I know you're working on something, you know, this other thing's coming up that we need to sign something or whatever, just tell me when you're ready. But, but, you know, having what we're doing respected, whatever that is, be it a game or a phone call or conversation or an article on the Kindle or whatever, you know, like it just, it's, it is a warm feeling to know that somebody sees you and it makes connecting so much easier and it makes the conversations go so much more smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, nobody's feeling resistance to the conversation. They're just, they're there and, and you can engage on a much deeper level and it goes more quickly and all the things. Okay. So let's go back to your unspoken agenda because I think that is another really important aspect of it because Coming to conversations with our kids with an unspoken agenda really does get in the way of consent, right? It's so valuable to take that moment to check in with ourselves before we come to a conversation. Um, something that I always, I've often used as a little check-in for myself is to just see, ask myself quickly, what would happen if they say no? Or, you know, the opposite of what I'm thinking. Because then I realize if I'm resistant to it going a different way than I'm kind of expecting or hoping, that's a clue for me to take a minute. And because that means I've got something going on, right? I've got an underlying need. I've got, And understanding that means I can bring that into the conversation. Remember you were talking earlier about saying, I'm feeling this, you know, time crunch. I'm... If we take that moment to understand why we're feeling an unspoken agenda, then all of a sudden it doesn't become agenda. It becomes something that we can actually talk about, right? It's more information that we can bring to the conversation. But first off, we got to notice that, right? (laughs) I love that. That's such a great tool because just, yeah, walking through, okay, what would happen if it goes differently than I think? How am I going to feel about that? Because right, then you're owning your feeling about it. And then you can put it out in front and say, yeah, I'm feeling like it's time for everybody to go to bed. Here's what's happening with me. I'm really tired. I got up early is so different than coming in with it's time to go to bed right now, right now, you know, and everybody's kind of like a deer in headlights. What's happening? Why is this happening? But when you can use those iMessages, when you can pull out that agenda and say, 
I'm just tired. You know, I don't have it in me. I can't make any more snacks. I don't, whatever. That's such a different conversation. That's such different energy. And what I found is that when we come into conversations with an agenda or a set outcome, it basically just short circuits the creativity, you know, and it hampers that ability for us to find the creative solutions because I'm kind of taking myself out of it because I'm still attached to this one way and they're feeling my resistance about, you know, any other thing. And so it really just, it spirals very quickly into nobody getting their needs met. But when I can really set that aside, and there's work to this, there's work sometimes depending on how deep seated the, you know, the agenda is or the need inside of us or whatever's happening with us to really set that aside. And sometimes it can be scary because we're thinking, no, I really need this sleep or I really need this thing to go this way. I can't live without that. I can't do it in a different way. But what we found, you know, time and time again with people is that when they can really let it go you're, you don't, you're not really letting go of your need. You're letting go of the agenda to kind of drive this whole discussion. And that's very different. We're not saying push your need aside. We're just saying, don't bring all that weight to the conversation because, you know, then it allows this open. Okay. So they can hear you and see you and you can hear them and see them. And I mean, again, you and I both know just time and time again, these creative solutions that really weren't even on my radar, one, because I was locked into one, you know, idea, but two, just because kids are so amazing at finding solutions and figuring all of these things out. So it's just such a worthwhile exercise, even though I I totally understand that it's hard. I know that it takes a lot of internal work, but I really think you'll see how it opens up for new opportunities that you just didn't think existed. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I like and I loved your point about it's not about dropping our needs. It's not about becoming a martyr and just like doing whatever anybody else wants. Because that unspoken agenda is so often really what we think the path forward needs to be, right? So we're presupposing that conversation, we want to um, push it in this particular direction to solve our need. But like we were talking about before, uh, about how capable kids are of coming up with these creative solutions. So, you know, we got to the point where we're almost excited to go into those conversations because like (laughs) I have no clue how we're going to move through this other than this like one little path I see that's going to have this negative effect in this one and this one. Like, I don't know how. And I'm at the point where I love bringing it to my kids and just asking for their input because, oh, so often they will see so much more from their perspective, right? But absolutely, the first while, it takes a little bit of extra trust and and work for ourselves, right, to get to the point where we can be open and curious about where things may go. But after Mm -hmm. some experience, I think you're really going to find it's going to become a lot easier to come because you're going to be more curious and excited about seeing the creative ways it can go. And uh, often we talk about like one, when we have kind of that unspoken agenda, that path we think we need to go to and our kids come up with other creative ideas. Sometimes they don't like feel fair to us, feel right to us. So it is so cool to have that experience and to see, okay, it's not a, about what looks fair from my perspective, right? Because it's not just me who's in this situation. If they come up with something that works for everybody, let's try it. And then later on, we they can they'll learn from the experience and say, hmm, you know, in the end, I feel like I did a lot more, or you know, whatever, whatever. But wow, you've now had that experience and they've now learned something that they can bring into the next conversations. It's, it's not about this one conversation. This is about the experience, right? About figuring out a path, trying it and seeing, and you've got this experience to bring forward with you. And something you were saying reminded me, and maybe this would just help people in peeling back the layers. I'm wondering if we don't get attached to our agenda and kind of pushing it because of this very thing we're talking about, that as children, we didn't have, we weren't given the template of being heard and seen. And so now we feel like we're going to use every power we have to like be heard and seen. But what, what you'll see is that when you create this new environment in your current family with your children and and spouse and whoever you live with, 
that you will see everybody can be heard. It's not a fighting. There's not a, there's not a scarcity, you know, everybody can be heard and everybody can be seen, but it's, we don't have a template for that. And so we're creating this new template for our families. And, and yeah, there's some things we have to shed about how it's happened to us in the past, but, oh my gosh, it's so rewarding when you do that work, because then you start to trust in the whole process of being seen and heard everyone being seen and heard. There's one other thing I wanted to bring up here because it's something I know I did when the kids were younger. And I just think it's a situation that might be a clue for people. And that is um, when you come into a situation, especially with younger kids, you know, for me, it was something when the kids were younger, you know, that big positive flow energy, like we're going to get out the door, you know, so happy. And we're going to do this and this and this, and then out we go. And that I found that was often where I purposely kind of um, ignored those little pebbles of resistance along the way. And that my positive energy would like sweep them up almost and they would get pulled into it and then we'd all be off happily. And it worked for my goal sometimes right but again like we talked about before those resistance those pebbles will build up and build up over time but so I think it just might be a clue to look at these situations again when we find ourselves trying to be kind of over the top with our energy to sweep everybody into it Uh, you know okay yeah yeah because it's just something I wanted to mention Yeah, yeah, yeah. But exactly that, because I'm thinking, so let's say, you know, we have somebody that comes to the network or to somewhere and and says, we went to the park, everybody wanted to go to the park, and then everybody just melted down. And it was this terrible thing. And what happened and blah, blah, blah. And I'm always saying, um, you know, look for the clues, like what was happening before, but that's such a great one. Because it's like, how was that exiting? Was it your big energy pulling everyone out? And you saw some pebbles there? Because then that gives you a clue, like it, it helps you go, okay, yeah, maybe they, and then check back in. Yeah, maybe they really didn't want to go to this park, or maybe this time didn't work for them, or whatever the thing might be. And so I think under, because you're kind of in your head, you're like, oh, but we all kind of happily got out the door. But when you look back at that, were those little resistance, were you having to use extra big energy to give everyone? everybody out the door. And so I love that. I think that's a great thing to kind of check about ourselves. And that doesn't mean that there's not a place for big energy and fun and to get everybody excited to go, but it's just, are we pushing through other things? And if we have some problem on the other side, just that little check-in, hmm, how was I, you know, what, what was happening there as we were leaving? So that just reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is looking for, for those clues, right. When you want to, um, respect other people's consent and what they what they want to do so just all those little pieces are so fun to think about um so the next thing I thought we could uh talk about it and for me this is the fun part this is the unschooling in action piece as well um because everyday unschooling right is is really us connecting with our kids right um through engaging and supporting them through their interests and passions the things that they want to do what they choose to do and you've alluded to this before so i want to dive into it a little bit more this is a brilliant way to help our kids better understand consent right by supporting them through the choices that they're making it is so valuable. Like we we talk about it when people come to unschooling. We talk about how um, valuable it is to follow their interests and passions because that's what you're doing instead of following a curriculum when you look at it through the lens of learning. But when you look at this through the lens of consent, so much of it is about helping them um, develop and hear and trust their inner voice, Right. And us showing them that respecting that inner voice is super valuable. And that leads us right into consent, doesn't it? So much so. And I think, you know, one of the things I just want to kind of pause and acknowledge about this lifestyle is that we have the time. Mm 
Yes. You know, we have the time to be together, to move through these conflicts, to, you know, flex those muscles I mentioned before, empathy, communication, conflict resolution, and, and creative thinking. But like you said, and listening to our inner voice, because as we listen to that and express it, and as it's heard and validated and part of the conversation, it strengthens that inner voice. We don't dismiss it because if we have something bubbling up from inside of us and it's pushed through or it's ignored, we start to question it. Well, is it wrong? Is that inner voice inside of me wrong? Am, am I getting the wrong message because they're telling me that's it's not important or it's whatever? And what I want to do is always build the connection to that inner voice because I'm not always going to be there to tell them what's best or what they should do. And so I really want them in tune with how things are feeling, what messages they're getting from inside. And that is the environment that we can create in our families. And so I just think it's, you know, we spend our days together and we can be aware of the sudden, all of that, and we can choose a different path. And that, you know, that's what I love. We can choose to listen and understand and work together and prioritize. You know, I, um, one of the network members has a mantra that says people over plans. And oh my gosh, I love that because I'm a planner, you know, as are you. (laughs) And so, you know, we, I get excited about a plan, you know, But my real priority is the people that I'm in relationship with, my children, my friends, my spouse, you know, all of that. And so I really, I love that reminder that's just really quickly because we can get caught up in a commitment we've made or in something else. But when you look at a child who's not wanting to go somewhere or even a spouse who really doesn't want to go somewhere, you know, it's people over plans. I mean, it just makes so much sense because it's the people that are going to remember how that exchange went, whatever happened with the plans, it's not going to matter. You know, five years from now, whatever that was, is not going to matter. The trip to the zoo or the whatever thing that was even a birthday party or whatever, you know, it's those relationships are what is my priority. And again, that tuning into our inner voice and making sure that I'm validating someone else's inner voice, even when I don't understand it, you know, and I want to, to do that to everybody, you know, to you and to people on the network and to friends and to whatever, you know, because just trusting in what they're seeing and their inner voice and just finding ways to, you know, lift that up and amplify it when I can. Yeah. At that time and space is so important because that inner voice, when they're, they're asking themselves questions, you know, what do I like to do? What do I want to do now? How do I feel about this? What lights me up? Like all those questions that they ask themselves as they're navigating, you know, what they want to do next. It seems so simple, but literally those are the things that they're thinking, right? When they're choosing and see how well you want that inner voice for them when they're adults, right? Like when they're navigating life, when they're making choices in relationship with other people, you know, because so often what happens is those outer voices, those um, more conventional outer voices are what can start knocking you off the path, right? Can, as that story that you shared at the beginning, right, can overpower our inner voices. And we can end up making choices that don't really work for us, but we feel that an expectation, on ourselves to do it. So cultivating that inner voice is just so valuable for, and like you talked about before that template of consent, because now they know how to navigate. Now they know how to think through what they feel will work for them. Right. And then through all those conversations that you, you were talking about, that's how you navigate other people's you know, needs in inside a situation. So it's just, it is just so valuable for them as a person moving forward and into the world. Yes, because so we're strengthening that connection to their inner voice. But at the same time, it's in a context of a family with other relationships. So it's not a selfish or a self-serving thing. It's, it's this really, but I always want to listen to my inner voice first. And then I want to look at the context of what's around me and how is that impacting the people around me? And that's what we can practice and do in our families. And I think it's so important because just something, I don't know why this popped to my mind, but as you were talking is just the idea of the, you know, 40 or 50 year old in a job they hate that they've kind of just stumbled along doing what they're supposed to do. 
And then they look up one day and like, what the heck happened here? <laughs> you know, like, how did I end up here? But that's how you end up there because people have consistently dissociated you from your inner voice and told you that it wasn't okay. And you need to take these other people into account. You need to do this. You need to do what I think is best for you. And this is the path. And I really want, and again, like we tried to touch on before, these little opportunities that we have now are what build that strength in that connection with your inner voice. It's what builds your template of consent. It builds. So why they seem like small things or little things, or maybe they don't matter. They truly are the foundation for all of this going forward. Yes. Cause that's where they're building these skills. Exactly. Even though they yeah. seem like simple everyday, like that's what we're talking about. Simple everyday yeah. choices everyday moments about, you know, what, what I want to do next. Oh, you know, somebody else wants this. That is where you build all the skills of, of hearing yourself and then moving through it in context in the moment, you know, context may even just be, maybe I don't have the thing yet that I really want to do. And then there's the whole, you know, the path, figuring out the path forward to getting that it's, and when we're supporting them, we are sending that message, right? That their inner voice is important, that it has value, that it's not wrong. Because even if, again, back to unspoken agendas, even we just bring a judgmental kind of energy into the room about their choices, right? They can, what they can often take from that is, you know, I love my parents so much, right? That, you know, I can't imagine they're wrong. And they think what I'm doing isn't, I can feel that they don't like that I'm choosing to do this thing. So they will overpower their inner voice with what, what we want, right? So that's just another situation. Like you, we don't want that to happen often enough that they feel like they can't trust their own inner voice. Right. And then going out into the world that way. Yeah. And I think we've all known adults. I've been friends with several that, you know, when I would ask them like, well, how are you feeling about that? Or what are you, what, you know, what, what are you kind of feeling inside about that decision? And they're kind of like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just, you know, I'm taking all this outside information and the outside information has value. I'm not saying, you know, dismiss the outside information, but we really need to be in touch with what, because we're the one that has to live with the decision. We're the one that has to keep walking forward through that. So all these outside noises, be it parents or spouses or whatever, talking at us, you know, ultimately it's us that has to live with it. And so I just, I love that unschooling provides us with the ability to create an environment where we're all just learning how to live our best lives, where we're all learning how to be in touch with who we are and how we want to move through the world. And we're all honoring that. And it's, it's just really a beautiful space to be in. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And, you know, just to touch on it again, it's not about judging ourselves, you know, as doing this right or wrong. We, it's all about like lifting ourselves up, lifting our children up and, and just choosing the culture that we want to create for our family, because we're just all on this journey together. And our lives really are just the collection of those little everyday moments and the choices we make in there. And again, the, the reconnecting pieces. The reconnecting pieces are the most valuable thing because you know what? Life isn't going to go smoothly. Things are going to happen all the time, right? It's the reconnecting when things get knocked off. That's where you build the strong connections. That's where you build the trusting relationships that you bring with you alongside that, that template of consent. That's just a given pretty much, right? That we are just going Two, in, in our environment and in our lives, we're going to respect people's boundaries. We're, we can say yes or no to situations. We are going to be open to conversations if we feel somebody um, is resistant to something. You know, that is just the culture that we're trying to, trying to create. Um, it's not about doing it right or it's not about you know like we said we've all hit the brick wall and I know I will continue to hit that brick wall because sometimes I just don't want to see the pebbles Mm -hmm. right and and sometimes you're so tunnel focused you literally don't see the pedals until all of a sudden it's like a boulder and and then it's like oh 
I missed those. And again, the reconnecting piece is like, oh, geez, I just realized that, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, open there again, you're providing a template. You're providing a template to them when it happens to them because it's going to happen to them too. They're going to push through somebody's consent or they're going to not be thinking of whatever and they're going to hit, you know, their own brick wall in whatever way that looks like. And now they know I can come back from that. That doesn't mean the end of the world because I think that can be really scary when we have this environment of perfection or other things that, you know, the culture puts on to us and you have to do it this one right way. When you hit that brick ball, it, it, I mean, it can lead to depression and to other things thinking, oh my gosh, I made this horrible mistake. And, you know, we talk about mistakes a lot. That's not the environment we're creating. We're creating a, okay, wow, well, we learned something there, you know, let's figure out how to do that differently next time. What a different energy than being fearful of mistakes and being fearful of, 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 you know, doing something that even hurts somebody else, because again, we've all done it and we will continue to do it. But if we can see it, catch it faster, apologize for it, reconnect. Oh my gosh. It makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And, and those are the skills. Like for me, that's the piece that has come with experiences. So often I catch it faster. I notice I noticed the body language clues because I learned enough about the individual to see what the way they kind of express it. Right. So it it is not about getting to that perfect life or to that perfect unschooling or anything like that. It is just gaining the skills to navigate our lives. And that's why we talk so much about how unschooling is just life. Right. It is. And it doesn't matter our ages. It's a way of, of living. It's a it becomes a lifestyle for us. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Anna. It was so much fun to talk about consent because it really is like to me, it's just at the foundation of unschooling, but it's something that we don't talk about that often. So I was really, really happy to look at unschooling through this lens. It was so valuable. Thank you so much. Yes, me too. So happy to look at unschooling through this lens and also then just think of the ways it ripples out to everything. So yeah, I just, I loved it. That's beautiful. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, Anna. Bye. Take care. (laughs) I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.